Well, let's pray together, church family. Let's pray. One more time as before I open God's word. God, we thank you, Lord, just for the Bible and how through it you have spoken and are speaking and will continue to speak to us through it. And so, Lord, even now we submit ourselves under the teaching of your word, knowing that it's not the messenger, but about the message. And we want to be just attentive, Lord, to hear what your spirit wants to teach us and tell us. So, Lord, speak through me, I pray. God, I pray that my words would be your words, Lord. As, as 1 Peter says, God, that I would deliver the oracles of God accurately. And, Lord, that we would all be encouraged, challenged, rebuked, blessed, healed, all of the above, God, spurred on to love you more. Um, no matter where we're at today, God. And, uh, God, I ask that you would just work, work, work among us. In the name of Jesus, amen. amen. I'm a Star Wars fan, guys. What, what if I told you that I have a friend who works for Lucasfilm? And what if I told you that this friend of mine has an advanced copy of The Last Jedi, which comes out this December? And what if I told you that this past week I went over his house and watched The Last Jedi? And what if I told you there's an amazing part in the movie where Luke Skywalker... Yeah, right? Yeah. It's not true. I don't have a friend. But I want to see if you guys hate spoilers as much as I do. I'm the kind of guy who doesn't even want to watch a trailer because I got like a semi-photographic memory at times and I'll see a scene in the movie, in a trailer and I'll watch the movie waiting for that scene. I'm like, it hasn't happened yet, that explosion. And so, like, so that building's going to explode because I remember in the trailer it exploding. So there's, no, there's nothing there. I, I hate spoilers. I've got a family member, on the other hand, who after you come from the theater, you're like, man, this movie is great. He's like, tell me about it. I was like, no. He's like, yeah, w- what goes on? I'm like, all right, tell him a little bit. He's like, tell me more. How does it end? I'm like, who are you? Like, what, what's wrong with you, man? He's, and I think he enjoys the tension kind of deflating. Um, if you're like me, the tension is what makes the movie. It, it's amazing. But when it comes to life, I would love a spoiler. I would love to find out how a decision I make tomorrow makes a difference a week later. How many of you guys with me on that? No spoil on movie. I would love a spoiler in life at times. How is this going to pan out? Well, you know, in life, God has actually given us a spoiler. So get this. Spoiler alert. Cover your ears if you don't want to hear this. Jesus is coming back. And he wins. This is the spoiler. Yeah. I just totally ruined the tension, guys. You know, you're not going to be watching the Battle of Armageddon wondering, oh my goodness, is Jesus going to come through on this one? He wins, guys. It's, it's, it's over. It's actually it's already said and done. Yeah. And so we, we don't like spoilers in movies and in myths, but we'll take it in life. And honestly, that's why God has given us his word. He's given us the prophecies of scriptures, an insight into the end times because he wants the spoiler effect. He wants you and I to be encouraged if we indeed are children of God. He wants us to be encouraged that when it feels like literally all hell is breaking loose from the underworld, the demonic forces are winning, he wants us to remember that they will not win definitively. He wants us to know that he gets the last word. And so I'm hoping and I'm praying 
that you'll be encouraged. Last week, I talked about the return of Jesus and what the Bible says when he comes back and takes home his church, all those who believed in Jesus, that he died for their sins, all those who turn away from the old them and turn toward Jesus to live as a new creation forgiven. Those are God's children. We talked about how Jesus is coming back to take us home. We also talked, back, talked about how when he comes back and takes home his church, those who do not know him, who have kept him at arm's length, who have maybe professed him with their mouths, but their lives have not honored him, who have not chosen to live for him, they will be left behind. And so today I want to talk about the tribulation period. Now, I'll just admit right up front that there are differing views on what I just even stated. And in my primary view, and I understand that there are, there are godly men and women who hold a view different than what I'm teaching here. And here's, here's a major difference in some of them. Some believe that Jesus will come back and take home his church right before the, uh, the, the tribulation begins, a seven-year period. And some believe that Jesus will come back afterward and that we who are the church will experience the tribulation period. And I'll be very forthright in saying that I see uh, the argument on both sides. I'm more convinced that the next step is Jesus is coming back to take home his church, and then seven years of tribulation will come. And so that's what I'm presenting before you today, and I would love for you to just get in your word and study and keep digging for these things. We're all curious about the end-time events, aren't we? I mean, we talked about last week, you know, Y2K, the Mayan calendar, prophecy conferences, uh, failed predictions of end times. We, we've seen that all of us have a, a kind of curiosity about what's, what's going to take place at the end of days. But again, God has given us some insight about it. And my concern is, because it's a lot of times confusing, we just decide not to study it, not to learn about it, on the one extreme, or we make everything revolve around it. We're predicting dates and we're, we're saying things that just aren't true. And, and what I want us to do is say, okay, God has given us this teaching for a reason. And the reason is various kinds. To encourage us, to challenge us, to, to stir us on, to, to uh, rebuke us, to call, tell us, hey, hey, where's your faith? Are you really following Jesus? Because he will come and take his church. There are either two kinds of people, those who follow Jesus and those who don't. And, and these, these prophecies kind of put this in front of us. And they will uproot cynicism and apathy in our hearts because we'll say, God, this is real. You're coming back. Or we'll say, you know what? I'm not believing it. Well, I'm hoping and I'm praying that these spoilers will encourage you today. And I said it last week and I'll say it again today because this is the truth. At this moment, we are closer to the return of Jesus than we have ever been in the history of the church. That was true last Sunday, it's true this Sunday, and it's true every moment from this time forth. He's coming back, and no one knows the day or the hour, but there's a way to prepare for it. And so what I want to do is talk about what this time will be like, uh, as the Bible calls this, tribulation Period. If you would find with me in the book of Mark, chapter 13, verses 1 through 23, this is where we're going to camp out to start with, and then we're going to jump into the book of Revelation. Mark, chapter 13, and there are Bibles right in front of you. There are blue Bibles. If you don't own a Bible, if you forgot one today, um, we're going to be on page 849 to start out with, Mark 13. If you don't own a Bible, 
Uh, We'd love for you to take that one home. It is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have God's words in your hands. And so Mark chapter 13. What this is, is is a time in Jesus' life when he was teaching his disciples about what God wants to see in the way we worship him. And as they were leaving the temple... The disciples looked around, and they were amazed at this temple. It was a specimen of of architecture. It was beautiful. It was destroyed in AD 70. But that time when Jesus was walking with them, it was still up. And the disciples were like, Jesus, check out this building. I mean, isn't this amazing? Again, we feel that way when we we go downtown. You look at the the, the Willis Tower, Hancock. uh, The Sears Tower is a better way to state that, I think, right? Um, And we're just like, man, um, how does that building stay there? In fact, you can hear that it starts to shift on windy days. Like, it's amazing specimen of architecture. And, and here the disciples are looking at the temple like, this is amazing, Jesus. And Jesus is about to drop the spoiler on them. And he says in verse 2, Mark 13, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's like, ooh. So Jesus is like, nice building. It's not going to be there much longer. About 40 years later, the Roman Empire, would, the Roman armies would enter into Jerusalem and destroy that temple. And then verse 3, and as he sat on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And again, they're doing the very thing you and I want. Give me the spoiler, Jesus. I don't want the tension. When's this going to happen? Give me the date. Come on. You know, we want to know these things. And Jesus says, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. So he's saying there's going to be false Christs that are going to come. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. Suddenly we realize Jesus is talking about something altogether different than AD 70. And my conviction is that right here, he's talking about what's the beginning of what we're saying is the tribulation period. And I'll make a connection to Revelation 6 in a moment. But notice, he says, there's going to be false Christs that are going to come after the church is removed and this time of tribulation comes. There's going to be wars and rumors of wars. Verse 8, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. This is just the start of what's going to take place. Verse 9, but be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. You will be persecuted, he's saying. There's going to be persecution. Christians will be opposed. Verse 10, and the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations, and when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. Verse 12. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and a father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. Verse 13. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he Notice that he, not it, he, ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Jesus is saying someone is going to come, and when he comes, it's going to be bad. Verse 15, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house 
to take anything out. And let the one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are, pregnant, who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, pray that it may not happen in winter. Verse 19, for in those days there will be such tribulation and as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. I'm going to read a few more verses here. Verse 24. But in those days, after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heaven. I'm going to stop there. And that's the second coming of Jesus when he comes to this earth and establishes his kingdom. There's a lot there, and I'm going to try to unpack this as helpful as possible. Um, So I'm going to be jumping here into Revelation 6 and elsewhere. So I need you to keep a thumb in Mark 13 this whole time. And I'm going to do my best to give you a timeline of events. And then as I did last week, I want to conclude this message saying, hey, this is why it matters. And I want you to just be thinking about that along the way. So as as, as I'm teaching here, I believe what God is saying in his word is that Jesus is going to come back in the clouds and he's going to resurrect the dead in Christ, the, the church, and those who are alive still who follow Jesus, they will come and meet Jesus in the air and he will take them into heaven. And then there will be a seven-year tribulation period that Jesus here says it's going to be horrible and if God didn't stop it, nobody would survive it. And at the end of that seven-year tribulation, Jesus is going to come back, but this time come down to the earth and establish a kingdom. And we'll talk about that kingdom next week. It's a thousand-year period called the millennial kingdom, the millennium. And But that seven-year period of tribulation is what we want to look at here. The church will be removed so there are no followers of Jesus in, that, in this earth at that moment. Every Christian will be taken away. But the Bible will be here. YouTube will be here. Books will be here. And people will begin to search out and find out that there is a God in the heavens. And people will indeed come to faith in Jesus during the tribulation period. And we'll talk about why that happens and what that looks like. But just for now, some things I want you to see is that here Jesus talks about, in in verse 10, how the gospel is going to be proclaimed to all nations. The good news is going to go out during this time. In verse 11, he says, do not be afraid what to say because the Spirit will give you the words to speak for those who are in the tribulation period. And then in verse 13, he says, those who endure to the end, who persevere, will be saved. And I want to state this. Although we are speaking of future events, know this, that truths for later are also truths for now. All right? God wants us in the now to get this message across to other people. 
He wants us in the now to trust that the Holy Spirit will give us words to speak. And he wants us in the now to persevere in our faith. And so these words apply to us now as they will apply to believers down the road. Jesus says in verse 14 that you will see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be. There's going to be a figure, a person who comes during this time and he's going he's to set up a treaty with the nation of Israel, but then he's going to do wicked acts in the temple. He's going to be a wicked person. We'll talk about who that is in just a moment. And then Jesus says in verse 19, in those days there will be such a tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the world until this time and forevermore. What will this seven-year period be like that Jesus says is so horrible? Well, this is where Revelation 6 comes in. Will you turn your Bible there with me? Revelation chapter 6, and this is page 1031 in our pew Bible. The book of Revelation was written by the Apostle John as he was on an island in the Mediterranean called Patmos. He was placed there as a prisoner until he died. In Revelation 6, we find out that there are seals. There are scrolls or books that are sealed up. And in chapter 5, John is there and people are crying out, who is worthy to open these seals? And nobody lifts up their voices and John starts to cry in this vision that he's having saying, oh man, in the end times, there's no one there to open these seals. And in chapter 5, verse 5, he says, it says this, and one of the elders in this vision that he had at the end said to me, weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll at its seven seals. Basically what John is saying here is that Jesus will start this tribulation time opening the seals. And in chapter 6, verse 1, the first seal says that there will be someone who comes on a white horse wearing a crown, a conqueror. But this is a different kind of crown than the man in Revelation 19 wears. And just for the sake of time, I don't have time to get into this, but if you cross-reference this with Daniel chapter 9, my belief is that this is the time where this man called the Antichrist will come into the world one who's going to conquer, one who's going to be a military and governmental leader. And people are going to start following this Antichrist. But when he comes, the second seal, the second scroll that Jesus opens, so to speak, says that wars are going to come. And the, second, the third seal, famine, and then death. And then in verse 9, Christians will be persecuted of Re- Revelation 6. I bring you here to show you that this is what Jesus talked about back in Mark 13. False Christs, Wars, famine, death, persecution of Christians. Jesus is saying this is what the beginning of the tribulation time will look like. Now, throughout the book of Revelation, in three different places, we're given a description of this, this tribulation, and we're told it's a seven-year period. There's a three-and-a-half-year, and then followed by another three-and-a-half-year period. And what happens is it progressively goes from bad to worse. Every time Jesus opens another seal, it's war, it's famine, it's death. It's a horrible time to live. And what we see is that ultimately many people will die. At one point, a quarter of the world's population will die by these things, by the wars, the famines, and the death. I mean, just think about it. We have 7 billion people in our world right now. That's over a billion people will die in the beginning of the tribulation period. 
It's going to be a horrible time to live. And then in chapter 6, verses 15 through 17, this is what John says. Then the kings of the earth during this tribulation period and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and every one, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, saying, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come. Who can stand? See, what the book of Revelation tells us is that this tribulation period is a time when God pours out his wrath, his just wrath on the wickedness of this world. Now, for those who are followers of Jesus, we could take great comfort knowing that that God's wrath is not directed toward us. It's been satisfied through Jesus. We can also take great comfort knowing that God will not let evil prevail ultimately. He will judge it. And there's plenty of evil and wickedness in our world. And here God's saying is, God's going to judge the evil and the wicked. But for those who are not following Jesus, this is a time of great terror, a great fear, because wrath will be poured out. We see during this time that God's going to raise up Christians in this tribulation period. In fact, 144,000 of them, 12,000 from each tribe of Israel. And these people in in, in Revelation chapter 7 are going to go throughout the world telling people about Jesus, proclaiming the good news of Jesus. But as Tony read for us early in our service, we find out that those who come to faith in Jesus during this tribulation period It's no cakewalk. Many of them, multitudes of them, will be killed for their faith. Look over Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this, John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne of God and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God saying, amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And then one of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes and from where have they come? And John says, sir, you know. And he said to me, yes, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. What irony, right? They made their clothes white with the blood. Last time I checked, blood makes you red or maroon or rust colored on a white garment. But of course, the spiritual imagery is such here. John's saying that there are going to be those who come to Christ during the tribulation and their sins are washed white as snow. They are cleansed. And though they will die, they are children of God because they put their faith in Jesus during this horrible time called the tribulation period. Well, as you've already noticed, a lot of the images here are very symbolic, very metaphorical. Um, In fact, what we call this is apocalyptic literature. We're going to see in a moment uh, this Antichrist figure. 
And he's going to be described as a beast. And really what it is, is to, is to evoke a, a kind of image, a kind of idea in your mind. When you think of a beast, you think of someone who's ravenous, someone who's evil, something that's, that has no mercy, something that's dangerous. And so by calling this person a beast, John is bringing out these ideas through this apocalyptic imagery. And so during this tribulation period, there's going to be this Antichrist who rises to the surface. He's going to be a wicked man who's under the control of Satan. So we will see Satan, we will see an Antichrist, and there will be a false prophet who helps out the Antichrist, and they function as an unholy trinity, if you will, doing Satan's bidding. Look with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13. We learn some things about this, this uh, Antichrist. In fact, the word Antichrist isn't used in the book of Revelation, believe it or not. It's used in 1 John chapter 2. But this person is basically anti-Jesus. He opposes Jesus. He opposes the gospel, the good news, and he wants to destroy it. And by doing so, he wants to deceive the nations into thinking that he's a great figure. And you know people have been trying throughout history to figure out who's the Antichrist going to be. And one person after the other, they think, is it Adolf Hitler? Was it John F. Kennedy? And, and to this day, people are wondering, is it going to come out of Russia? Who's the Antichrist? And we just don't know. <laughs> we don't know. But what we do know is that he will deceive the nations and we were told here, and I'm going to read in a moment, that he's going to receive a wound that appears to kill him, but it doesn't. But he comes back and basically fakes a death, and the world's going to be amazed at this man and start following him because of his great power. And this is what Revelation 13 tells us. He says in verse, it says in verse 1, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads and ten diadems. Those are crowns. On its horns and blasphemous names on his heads. The beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. Okay, these are images. Leopards are fast, he's swift. The bears are strong, lions are, 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 are dangerous. And to it, the dragon gave his power. The dragon refers to Satan, that was in a previous chapter. Gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound. It seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. He, he tricks people into following him. But here in verse 4, this is where it gets serious. And they worshipped the dragon who is Satan, for he had given his authority to the beast who is the Antichrist. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? See, during this tribulation period, not only are there going to be cosmic things happening, earthquakes, famines, but there's going to be wars, and then there's going to be a, an increase of demonic activity, deception. It's going to be an awful time to live. We see down in verse 11, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth, it had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast, the first beast. So there's another figure who's going to come, and this figure's desire is to have other people worship the Antichrist. 
And then in verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it, allow, it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Jump down to verse 16. Also, it causes all both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is 666. For 2,000 years, people have been trying to figure out what is 666. You want the answer? The answer is nobody knows. But it's interesting because seven in Scripture seems to be a number of perfection or number of completion. And so the number six is like it's incomplete. Uh, It seems to me there might be three numbers because you have the dragon who's Satan, you have the Antichrist and this false prophet. But that's as best as I could do for you guys. But what we do know is that what, what John says here about this mark of the beast in the tribulation period, that nobody, it says in verse 17, can buy or sell unless they have it. So there's going to be a kind of social pressure. Unless you worship the Antichrist and your proof of your worship is in whether or not you get this mark or this number or whatever, and if you have that mark, then you're allowed to go to Target and buy something. You you can go to the jewel and get some food. But if you don't have that mark, you cannot purchase food. And of course, if there's a Christian who's there who wants to get some food, now they got a decision to make. Will they worship the beast or find a way to get food. All this to show us that the end times, these these seven seals that Jesus opens, these judgments on the world, is going to be a difficult time to live. Well, the seventh seal that Jesus opens, opens up another seven, what what, uh, John calls trumpets. Again, this is all image. But each trumpet is another horrific thing that goes on on this earth. A third of the crops burn, one third of lights cease. There's going to be demonic activity. And then the seventh trumpet opens up another seven, what's called bowls, like a bowl filled with side of it, inside of it with God's wrath, and God pours the bowl onto earth, essentially. And these bowl judgments are as bad as they come. God is basically purging the earth. It's going to be a horrible time to live. The seals, the trumpets, the bowls, the antichrist, the false prophet, the mark of the beast, going to be going down church family uh, as we consider this whether Jesus has for us to live through this tribulation period or chooses to take us up as I believe though beforehand what's going to happen then is what happens now on smaller scales it's a test of the validity of your faith our faith will be tested when we choose to live for Jesus And the proof is in the pudding of our lives. What will you do? How do you live? Is it evident to those around you who you serve? Well, during the tribulation period, the 144,000 and others who come to faith in Jesus will pay the highest cost. They will die. Many will be put to death. Many will choose to not get the mark. 
but others will not choose, or we will choose to get the mark. And God's wrath will be poured out on this earth. What's going to happen during the end times is with the book of Revelation progresses is that the wars are going to keep increasing. The Antichrist is going to lose control. But finally, he's going to bring people together and make war against God and his people. And what Revelation tells us in chapter 16, verse 16, that they're going to get together in the hill of Megiddo, which in Greek is Armageddon. You've heard of the great war of Armageddon. The great war lasts a verse in the book of Revelation. It's not so great, actually. This is what takes place. Turn over to Revelation 19. Revelation 19. At the end of this tribulation period, when God's wrath has been poured out, when he has saved those from the tribulation period that he's chosen to save who put their faith in him, when God says time is up, it's all complete, this is what's going to take place. Revelation 19, verse 11. John says, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. This is different from the one we saw in Revelation 6. Why? The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war against the Antichrist, against Satan, against the battle, the armies who gather at Armageddon. Verse 12, his eyes are like flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is, say it with me, the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, I believe this is the church that he raptured. This is you and I. The armies of heaven arrayed in fine linens. We've been transfigured. We, 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 we are now have resurrected bodies. White and pure. We're following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword and with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with the rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus got a tattoo on his thigh. (laughs) King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Hear the image. He will tread the fury of the winepress of God's wrath. I've never been to Italy But from what I've heard and what I've seen in movies is that when it comes time to make wine, they take the grapes, they put them over a grate, and they have a a, a party of sorts where people go barefoot and they stomp on the grapes so that the juice comes forward down. And that's how they get the wine. John is taking that image and saying, Jesus is coming down with his heavenly armies upon the wickedness that the wicked, evil people who are gathered together with Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet at Armageddon, and Jesus is going to put them on the grates of his wrath, and he's going to stomp them out. And if you think that's pretty gory, listen to what John has to say. Verse 17 Then I saw an angel standing in the sun and with a loud voice called to all the birds that fly directly overhead saying, come gather for the great supper of God. You know, different different kind of animals and birds and predators. Hey, come, you're about to have a feast on these carcasses. Come gather for the great supper of God to eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, 
and their riders and the flesh of all men, both free and slave, both small and great. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, that's the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. This is the battle of Armageddon. Look at verse 20. And the beast was captured. That's how much airplay Satan gets here. The beast was captured, and with it the false prophet, who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur, and the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse, and all the birds were gorged with their flesh. They were full for days. That right there is the battle of Armageddon. That right there is the second coming of Jesus. And that right there marks the beginning of his kingdom that he will reign on this earth, which we'll talk about next week. Spoiler alert. Jesus wins. So I think about the tribulation period and and the horrors that will be here. It will be a scary time. And this is what God wants. He wants you and I to think about this. Perhaps you're gathered with us today and and you don't align yourself with Jesus. What the tribulation period says is God makes a line in the sand. You will follow me or you follow Satan and his agenda. And some might say that's scare tactics and Jesus is like, it's truth. All right? It's not manipulation, it's the truth. Jesus is coming back to take his church, and he's coming back to execute judgment on all who would not surrender their lives to him. And then he wins, and only those who align themselves with him will enjoy that victory. There are four ways I want you to respond to this. Four ways. I want you to think about this. And if you've got a pen and paper, write these down. Four ways that this spoiler alert is meaningful for you and me. The first one is the word proclaim. Proclaim. Jesus says the gospel must spread to all people. You and I need to get this message out there. People need to know that God is a just God. And he will condemn the unjust. And that's what a perfect God does. In love, he made a way through Jesus for all of us to come to have a relationship with him. So in his justice, he also had mercy. And as I've said before, at the cross of Jesus, his wrath and his mercy sweetly kissed at the cross. Jesus took his wrath, and because of Jesus, he gives us mercy if we would believe in him. This is how you become a child of God. This is how you become a Christian. You say, Jesus, I believe that on the cross you died for me. And that my sin was given to you so that when the Father sees me, he sees me now as forgiven. I don't have to pay for my sin. Jesus did it. And that's how you become a Christian. Say, Jesus, I believe that you died for me and all my sins. I'm going to turn away from that and I want to live my life for you now. That's called repentance in the Bible. You turn away from the sinful life. And God says, when you do that and you live for him as one who has put their faith in him, You are forgiven. You become a part of God's family. You are declared right before God, and he gives you his Holy Spirit. And so 
This message is what we need to proclaim, first of all. Second of all, it's the word persevere. As I mentioned, the proof is in the pudding of our lives. There are many people, many of us would say we know Jesus, we love him. But Jesus isn't fooled by our lip service. He knows our hearts. And that's why Jesus says in Mark 13, this is a call for the endurance of those who know the Lord, to persevere. Now we persevere by living by faith, by being devoted to Jesus in our lives, by saying, God, I want my life to align with yours. Show me the things in my life that don't align with you, and God, now give me the strength to live for you because this is going to be tough. I want to persevere here. Perseverance means when you fail, when you sin, when you fall on your face, you get back up because God gives you the strength to do so. Perseverance means living for Jesus and trusting that his spirit will give you strength. So first we proclaim. Second, we persevere. And third, we praise. As dark as some of Revelation 19 that I read for you guys is, but I'm filled with joy. When Jesus wins. I just want to worship him for that. Because when this world seems so chaotic and things feel like they're falling apart, God says, hold up, I'm in control still. When your life feels chaotic, like it's falling apart, God's saying, hold up, I'm in control still. I'm coming back for my people. I'm coming back to this earth. I'm in control. And because of that, I just want to declare, Jesus, you are the victor. You are the conquering king. You are the Lord of lords. I worship you because you have saved me, and I look forward to living for eternity with you. It's praise. And then fourthly is to prepare. How will you prepare for the coming of Jesus? If you don't know Jesus, the best way to prepare is by surrendering your life to him. If you are a child of God, the best way to prepare is by aligning your life to his and then to wait and hope actively. I know the ladies are going on a retreat here in a few weeks, and I've shared this with you before, but I remember distinctly as a kid when my mom went home for a woman's retreat. We knew she'd come back on Sunday, but we didn't know when she was coming back. But we knew that when she came back, she expected the house to be clean. So whatever happened on Friday... Whatever happened on Saturday needed to be made right on Sunday. And so on Saturday, we're super passive. Pizza boxes, cereal boxes. And that's all we ate for the women's retreat when my mom was gone. But we knew, so usually she comes by in the late afternoon. We got to get home from worship and get on our grind. We got a clean house. There was an activeness in our preparation, which was initially passive, But as the time draws near, passivity must give way to activity. And so Jesus says, I'm coming back. No one knows the day or the hour. Church, we must let passivity give way to activity. We prepare our hearts by aligning our lives with Jesus, by opening our mouths, and by hoping and waiting and longing for his return. There's a guy named Joe Stoll who's the president at Cornerstone Bible College. He was a former president of the school that I went to. And he tells a story of a friend of his who started a home to help out children who have mental disabilities. 
And as he took in 36 kids in his home, he began to teach them the good news of Jesus and the hope of Jesus' is coming. And for anyone who suffers and anyone who experiences pain or challenge, the hope of Jesus' is coming is, a, is, is like medicine on your wounds. Because you know this life is not all that there is. And these kids hoped in Jesus' return. One day, the man came up to Joel Stoll and says, Hey, Joel, you know what our greatest building maintenance need is here in the shepherd home? And Joel Stoll said, I, I have no idea. And the guy said this, Dirty windows. He says, Our kids press their hands and faces against the windows because they're looking to the sky to see if today might be the day that Jesus will return for them and take them in his home where they will be healed and complete. That's hope. How are the windows of your home? Your car? Or your eyes at, spiritually speaking? These kids know something that a lot of us have no idea about, but it's how to long for Jesus to come back. That's how we prepare for it. We don't dread his coming. We say, Jesus, when you come, all the mess will be made right in our lives. You'll take us home with you. As we saw last week, Jesus says to his disciples in John 14, hey guys, I'm gonna leave you guys, but no, I'm coming back for you. When I go, though, I'm going to prepare a place for you, but I'm taking you home back with me. That makes me long for Jesus' return. So the spoiler alert is important. It causes you to proclaim, to persevere, to praise, and to prepare for Jesus' coming. As I ended last week, I want to end this week. Turn to the last chapter of the Bible, Revelation chapter 22. Jesus ends the revelation, which means the, re- the revealing of what's to take place. And in verse 20, Revelation chapter 22, verse 20, John writes this. He says, He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus speaking, Surely I'm coming soon. Read this last part with me. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. What we want to do is conclude in this way. Julian and Cynthia are going to play a song, and I want us to just be seated here. I want you to reflect on those four points, those those spoiler points I mentioned. And I want you to think about what it is that God wants for you to do in response to this message today. And as they sing, let the words just be what you meditate on. And if God should move in your heart and you want to stand, you're welcome to do that. But if sitting down helps you focus, we want you to do that as well. If coming here to the altar and just bowing down saying, God, give, give me that, that heart and passion for your coming, for the lost people in my lives who will be in the tribulation if you came today. Maybe come forward and pray that. But what we want you to do is just think here, prayerfully meditate, say, God, show me what you want me to do how you want me to proclaim, how you want me to persevere, how you want me to praise you, how you want me to prepare for you. And if you don't know Jesus, if you're not a follower, maybe this is that moment for you where you pray in your heart saying, Jesus, I give my life to you. Forgive me for my sins. 
Help me live for you. So let's bow our hearts and heads. Father, would you do this work with something that came forth from your word today be planted in their hearts and even as they pray silently now, let it turn into something beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, as the Lord would lead you to respond, however, if you want to respond in singing, if you know this song, go ahead and sing it out. But let's just let, ask God, what do you want me to take?